0: The only people who need more than that are the ones who aren't coming. I mean, most church discipline (laughs) boils down to come back to church. Listen to the words, believe again. Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Here today, as always, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and JD Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Glad to hear it. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it sounds like some of our colleagues aren't. Did you guys see this article on churchanswers.com? written by Tom Rainer. And apparently he and his team interviewed a bunch of clergy and found that, quote, an overwhelming majority are considering quitting their churches. Some, he says, are just weeks away from making an announcement. So should we take a minute here to reassure our congregations? <laughs> We're not going anywhere, right? That's right. <laughs> I like to eat.
1: That's yeah, right. so, well, I've been meaning. So not, I I'm figured staying. this is as good a place as any to. Yeah. Uh, to no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I've read that article, and I like you know Tom Rainer's. I've been reading him for a long time, ever since his book um, called uh, "The Autopsy of" or it was something like "The Autopsy of the Church" or something. It had like 10, 10 marks. Of, yeah, he likes lists. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he's. It's like one of those. Um, the airplane. If if there was a if there was an airport where only clergy walked through, he would be a really big seller on those books, you know, (laughs) let's pick a book on the way. um, I think
0: this article, six reasons why your pastor is about to quit. Well, I think
1: it's certainly a different world than many people thought they were entering in. I mean, my predecessor, a former position I had, uh, had a wonderful image, which I think is actually true. He said, when I joined this church, I was um, basically trained and recruited to be a cruise ship captain. And over the 35 years of my ministry, it's become a battleship. And i said well you know when we entered into the ministry i mean nick and i you know we we entered in right after 2003 so at the very least with respect to the episcopal church we had our eyes open to to the fact that we were not entering um a cruise ship you know i mean now the problem is of course is that many of these churches want to continue to to cruise around and hope that the blue man group doesn't get sick you know and um and at the same time what we're doing is bringing armaments and you know turning the uh turning the, um, the, the, the swim, the, the wave pool into a triage, uh, you know, rehab center. And I could keep going. So many cool parts of a cruise ship, <laughs> but, uh, you know, repurposing the jet skis, as, as, you know, anyway, but I think I feel for those people. And I mean, we've talked about it a lot, even with respect to our relationships to various seminaries is that, if you are kind of uh, bait and switching people on the front end for the difficulty they're going to face, if they are going to uh, profess anything of what is traditionally understood Christianity, particularly with respect to, Human identity, sexuality issues, um, absolute truth. I mean, just go down the list of things that all of the early church died for. If you're going to stand up for that and equip people to do it, well, then you're going to have heavy weather. And again, that's not something I wish for. But at the same time, if you're not aware of that going into it, then I'm not surprised that you're one step away from selling insurance or, or real estate or, or something like that.
0: But at the same time, understanding the foundation of that, the actual good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ actually can bring encouragement in discouraging times. And it's in fact, the only thing that can. Amen. Well, we um, see that, like yeah. that
1: book, the new book, uh, Cynical Theories, have you yeah, seen yeah. that? It's um, He talks about part of our current situation is a multi-decade frustration, a growing frustration with these sort of utopian ideas of social engineering that um, kind of came to the fore at the turn of the 20th century. Um, where we were going to, with the sake of technology and you know the brotherhood of man and all these things, going to eradicate poverty in war and essentially save the human heart, and well, 120 years later, that um, looks uh, further away perhaps than it did in in 1890, and people are starting to get upset, you know, and angry, and rightly so. If that's what your hope is, that where your hope lies, and so I think for the church, you know, I have this picture of us being. Um, maybe even repurposed cruise ships, but the, who are uh, have been sent to the wreckage of Pearl Harbor, you know, like going around the... the I mean, I could take this. this metaphor We're is huge. You
0: This is actually just the intro to the podcast, like, not the I'm whole like, podcast. It's like those old
1: church fathers. And then the scales on the 183 fish, <laughs> ref, each one represented 14 angels, and yeah. each of the 14 well, angels you know, played baseball. Sorry.
2: I mean, I, I thought... I was I was I graduated from seminary in two thousand two, and my first first year of ministry was or began as as my ordination was in December twenty second on December twenty second two thousand two, and then Gene Robinson was confirmed as bishop of New Hampshire in that that summer two thousand three. So I only had like six months or seven months of of non <laughs> of non warfare, and I yeah. assumed going I assumed getting out of seminary that. That the the ordination of or the the fight over homosexuality would be going on for a good ten years more before anything was definitively done about definitively done about it. I didn't think it would happen, you know, months after after, yeah. after I was out. But I mean, I'm I'm really I'm I'm actually kind of I wouldn't just say happy, but um, you know, the the church, the complacency of I think the average Episcopalian in the '90s and in be uh, you know leading up to two thousand three, just say things are fine. Yeah, we have disagreements. Things were okay. I think that the slow lulling to sleep of people over the course of decades. Well, I'm kind of glad that's not there anymore because the re- the real situation is the church, the church is always in this world. The church militant. We're always we're always yes. we're always at war with. Uh, with the forces, of hell. Christian
1: pacifists.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is this is this is this is reality.
1: I I read Bishop Spong's no. book in 1996, which was four years after it had been, I think, four years after it had been published. And in a class, I think I mentioned this before, a sociology religion class, and I ran around sort of trying to point this out to people. I was like, Have you read this? Have you read this book? And they're like, Nah. That's the insane ramblings of one lone bishop in the corner of the church. Like that's not, you know. That's not coming to a church near you. And then, less than, you know, ten years later, um, that's the platform of the the new presiding bishop. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, that's, things move quite quickly uh, now with the interwebs. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Yeah.
0: So even though the three of us seem to be encouraged and staying where we are, please do pray for your pastors, uh, mm. support them, uh, proclaim the good news to them.
1: Remind them that um, you love them and,
0: and encourage them. If you
1: find them, and if you find them encouraging, I have a stack. It's not as long as I want, but it's larger than I thought. Um, a stack of notes or emails mm-hmm. now with, um, you know, something you said, uh, encourage me, or you know, in the midst of this or that or the other, I was re- reminded of something you said or a sermon you preached, and those those are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Um, and so if you're, if you're listening to this and you have something like that, that came to mind, write it down. Here's JD's email you. address. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, because it will, uh, those are the type of things that keep you um, keep you going. Yeah. yeah. Amen.
0: Well, listen, for those of us following the lectionary readings, this past week, the gospel lesson was Matthew 18, 15 to 20, in which Jesus lays out his plan for discipline in the church, both interpersonally and then corporately, even up to and including the removal of an unrepentant sinner from the body. Now, J.D. and I both preached on this Passage this week. Uh, Matt is a rebel and is preaching section by section through the the Gospel of John. Maybe we can talk about preaching strategies on a future pod. But the other two of us preached the lectionary, and so this passage is fresh in our minds. Matt, I know you barely have any thoughts on the matter, but we're going to make you talk church discipline. Why don't you uh, lay out for us what Jesus says, and then we can talk about how what so many people in the church hear and feel as bad news is actually shot through stem to stern with good news? What does Jesus say to us about discipline?
2: Well, sure. I mean, if it starts with the, at the individual level in Matthew 18. It says if someone, uh, if a brother or sister sins against you, then you go to that person face to face, and he gives in the first, I think it's verse 15. He gives the the purpose, and the purpose is that you might win your brother over. The whole, the whole idea there is that instead of, as is our want, uh, going to Joe and Jim and John or Jane or whoever. Yes, yeah, some people have been saying. I've heard. <laughs> instead of doing A that. A lot
1: of people are mad at you, Matt. Right, exactly. Right.
2: Instead of doing that, we actually go, and it's crazy. It's insane, but it actually works. Going directly to the person. And saying, look, I, I understood that you I I this is what I understood from what you did or what you said. Am I being, am I taking offense incorrectly? Did I just what you what your intentions were? And then, you know, I I when this is actually done, and it is it's done fairly consistently in my church, when this is actually done, ninety nine point nine percent of conflicts that could erupt in a church are just dealt with immediately. Because yep. usually it's a case of misunderstanding, um, or maybe there has been a real sin committed, and there's you know, repentance and forgiveness. Face-to-face meetings solve so much. I just, wish, you know, it, people are afraid of them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. When people tell me, "Who tell me?" Well, I just don't like. I'm not a confrontational person. That's not the way because God we fear me. we
0: won't be forgiven. That's
2: that, or yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a lot of it. Um, and it, it, I know, I know. Every personality is different, but the but Jesus is God, and when he said these words, he knew who he was speaking to. He knew mm-hmm. every single one of his sheep by name. he knew your personality, he knows you don't like conflict, and yet he still said, "Go to your brother or sister directly first now uh, if when that happens and th- I said before this, we've had we do Matthew 18 fairly this regularly in my church. Sure. So there are occasions where Would it be uh, safe to
1: say it's it's
2: your thing at your church? It's one of our things. It's okay. man, it's it's been so much it's it's been the application of this text. Yeah and our congregation has bred peace.
0: Well, let's stick to that first verse here for for a second. Before we move on to involving the church, um, I think it's important to point out that he specifically, he's he's talking to people in the church, right? Christian brothers and sisters who can approach each other with the prior knowledge of their own forgiveness. And that's what makes any of this possible. Right. Now, I,
2: I, what I love about the text, and, and sometimes it's forgotten, and, I, and I'm not sure I even like the way our lectionary you know, jumps into it, because the pretext, the text before this is, the parable before this, is Jesus going after the lost one sheep, uh, the, the one out of the night, nine, the, yeah. the ninety-nine and the one lost sheep. He goes after that sheep and brings it back, and then right after that, what are you doing when you're going to, to meet with your brother or your sister? You're trying to win him back, win yes. him over. It's a, Immediately it's a, it's a,
1: following this this <laughs> section, we have how many times, if your, if your brother sins against you, how many times do you forgive him? You know, 70 times yeah, seven. We have, actually, it's an amazing. This is the it, answer amazing, to that question. That's right. i I always laughed about it. I laughed about it in sermon. You know, when, when someone is finally exiled from the church, they're treated like a tax collector or a... Um, or Gentile, it's not insignificant that math, this comes in Matthew's gospel from the tax collector, right. text collector. Right. so it's like he at the very <laughs> least was, was not considering that a death sentence. Um, right. right. <laughs> um, but I think that's a really important point, Nick, is that there is a uh, sort of a, it, it's incumbent upon understanding things like this to preach, as we say all the time, law and gospel, and to the end that there is a no misunderstanding about what exactly the basis of our fellowship is, because it's the, basic of our, the basis of our fellowship is not righteousness before the law, but condemnation and judgment, or judgment, I should say, and con- not judgment condemnation under the law, yeah. with non-condemnation, but on Christ, and then mercy and forgiveness through the gospel. And therefore, you know, whatever offense we have, at the very least, we can understand how it could have been given either, um, you know, uh, willfully or accidentally and whatever the case may be, but it's in that context of an actual forgiven sinner going to another um, forgiven sinner who has perhaps, or maybe definitely sinned against them. And that is an entirely different world than is even conceivable outside of the gospel. I mean, that's what I was preaching about on Sunday was that, you know, I mean, you look around, I mean, I think you were saying when we were talking about it, has there been a, has there been a less forgiving, year than 2020. And I made a joke. You said I was wait like, till well. next year. Yeah. I was like, well, there's next year. You know, it's like, I mean, I don't know. You know, people are terrified of all the things they've done and left undone. And in some cases they should be, you know, particularly if it's all on the internet or it's on YouTube or it's whatever the case is. And, you know, as someone who has confessed for, for you know, decades now, the things done and left undone on a weekly basis, I'm grateful for the reality of having experienced something of the mercies of God, which then allows me to be hurt by others Maybe less frequently than I otherwise would have, but certainly even in the midst of that, with a measure of compassion for how easy it is to to sin against a brother. I mean, yeah. it's relatively easy to to think that you are righteous in your own eyes, and then um, and then you know hurt someone else, or 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 forget the speck, you know, forget the log in your own, and look at the speck in the other. I mean, these are all like incredibly um, easy ways to befall the sin of of committing against your sin or your brothers, and yet in the church that's part of the wonderful gift that we have is to, to, to be refined by each other in love in the midst of, in the midst of those relationships.
2: You, you can kind of, you know, this first verse of scene, you can kind of hear Peter's mind turning as Jesus is talking, you know, okay, wait, so I go to my, what happens if I go to my brother and I say, okay, you, you sinned against me. And then he, he admits it, you know, he repents. Okay, I have to forgive him. I know Jesus is a big forgiveness guy, so I have to forgive him. But then, what if he does it again? Yeah, right. Okay, so I yeah, I, 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 I got to figure out what to ask Jesus this, this question, and you know, no, without you know getting slammed. So I'm gonna to try to think. how Jesus would probably want me to forgive at least seven times. So I'm gonna go ask him <laughs> how many times I should do this, and then of course the, the seven times seven the.
0: 70 times 70 or whatever. He's Um, asking for a clarification of the law. He wants wants to know (laughs) what obedience means. How can I barely get over the bar? When can I
2: slam my brother to the ground?
0: (laughs) And so, of course, Jesus does what he always did when people came to wanting a clarification of the law. He showed them just how high the bar was, you know, 70 times 7 forever and ever. And then he lays out this humanly terrifying process. But... This is another um, thing that I think provides a good starting place, and I I realize we've been talking for 15 minutes already, so it's not really a starting place. But it's, it's an important thing to remember during this whole conversation about discipline is that God is good, and that if we worshipped a God who wasn't good, then discipline wouldn't matter because we yeah. could do whatever we want. But under an Almighty God, we do whatever we want, and we die. Instead, we worship a good God. And so that's, you know, in the short term for us sinners, a good God feels like bad news. But in the long term, a good God is a God who can and will actually save us. Amen. And he
1: gave, sorry, Matt,
0: go ahead. I'm sorry. At the end of the
2: day, the only only sin that will ever get you uh, thrown out of the church is the refusal to accept God's mercy. That's right. Is, is a refusal to repent and, and re- receive what he promises to those who do. It doesn't matter what you've done, how desperate your sin is, how horrible you've, you've, you've been. You repent and you are back in.
1: Full communion, and everything. I love that. I think, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, that's the, that's the final end of this. It sounds frightening, but it's, you know, I listened to a commentator this week who said that, you know, when you treat someone like a Gentile or a tax collector, well, how did Jesus treat them? He preached to them, you know, yeah. repent. The kingdom of God is at hand, you know, and well, lo and behold, some Gentiles and tax collectors, even before his death, uh, were part of his disciples. And so certainly after his death and resurrection, the preaching to someone who is refusing the forgiveness of sins is just a double down on the long gospel. You know, yeah. this, is what, this is what has happened. You who crucified this man, he's coming again. Um, repent and How then can we be saved? Repent and believe and receive forgiveness of his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is what we preach. And I think, Nick, to your point, about a good God and not being afraid of him. I mean, I was having sort of a, just considering what if this part of the scripture hadn't been given to us, you know, as, as the church, because, you know, as Cranmer writes in our collect, you know, the Holy scriptures have been written for our learning, you know, what if, what, how would we naturally as sinners adjudicate our interpersonal differences if we didn't have such clear admonition to do something that was so contrary to what our, what our sin nature is that we're wanted to do, you know, because there's a good enough chance as anything is if you go to someone and say, you've sinned against given to me, they will be like, actually, it's funny. You mention. <laughs> I have been meaning to set up an appointment with you too, because I'm pretty sure, I, I'm pretty sure you're the one who's in trouble here. Yeah. You and, did uh, it first. You did that's it right. first. That's right. You can't fire me. I quit. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I think that's in part, I was thinking a lot about this. I think that's in part why the two or three people come because there's a genuine, you know, particularly in a situation where your emotions are involved and, and there's he said, she said, or she said, he said, whatever the case is, you know, it helps to have uh, trusted, you know, elders or, or friends or whatever the case is in the church to come with you. And, you know, in a hopeful spirit of peace and reconciliation, say, let me let me hear what happened. I mean, this goes back to Deuteronomy 15, I want to say it is wherever they, wherever they lay out the. Um, the rules for uh, witnesses and things in the Old Testament. It was that, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding that in the heat of an argument, I may have said something or may have remembered, misremembered something, you know, as they say. Um, and I think there's a, there's a beauty, beauty to that even because you could sit there and say, now, wait, what did he say? What did she say? Yeah. Like, is there really something here? And if there is, well, then we have mechanisms for repentance and forgiveness. But if, as the case might often be, Matt, it turns out that there was there was just this inability to articulate the fact that things got more heated than we wish. And I wish we could just sort of hug and make up or elbow bump now or whatever it is we do and make up. And, um, and that seems to be in my experience personally, almost always the case when people genuinely embrace this passage, when they actually come and say, look, I know I'm a sinner or, or, you know, I know that you probably didn't mean this. Um, here's how it made me feel. Here's how, here's what I heard um, let's talk about it. And, you know, invariably I almost immediately burst into tears or something, you know, cause I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you told me, you know, it's been a week and a half and we've been playing, you know, basketball every other night together. And, and, and I wish you would have told me then, but I'm glad you told me now and not 10 years from now. And that's the beauty and the gift that God has given us in this passage. And if Jesus knew that, that's why he told us. And that's why he taught it.
0: Yeah. And I, I can't help but reflect on what you said earlier, too, about how this is what the church does. This is what we preach. And this is how our liturgy is organized, anyway. We do church discipline every single week. We are disciplined as the church. We come under the authority of the Word of God and recognize ourselves as sinners, proclaim that sin in the confession, hear the absolution reaffirm our faith in the creed and then partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ in communion. And that's discipline. And the only people who need more than that are the ones who aren't coming. I mean, most church discipline (laughs) boils down to come back to church, listen to the words, believe again. That's what church discipline is. Yeah. So at our church, when
2: I know that a lot of people hate the peace, you know, because it's really embarrassing you know, to you know turn around, shake hands with somebody or whatever. But, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not a liturgical scholar, but um, we use you play it. one on Sundays. I play one on Sundays, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so we use it and say, look, this is a time where you're preparing to come forward for to the Lord's table and receive uh, receive Him by faith. So uh, you need to be at peace with Him, which you've hopefully already done at, at your confession. Um, but now you need to make peace with your brother and sister. So if there's anybody here that you have an issue with, don't come, to, don't come to the table until you've either talked to that person, you go outside and take them to the nave or whatever, um, talk to that person right now, or set up a time to talk to that person. Um, but don't come forward. You're, you're risking your life coming forward to communion if you're coming forward at odds or at enmity with your brother or sister.
0: That's a long announcement. You do that every week? <laughs> so i do that like
2: at least once every month i oh, say that, yeah. that. So people in our church know yeah what the peace is for it's not just to hey what's up No, yeah. it's it's right. a, an actual to make peace
1: and that brings in a whole an, another aspect of this question which i've thought i've been thinking about um you know having grown up sort of where the aspirations at least were to have as big a church as possible you know to have as large a footprint and as many seats and then actually spending some time, not in, in high school, but back in college when I would go home to, you know, five, 10, 15,000 person church and just wondering, you know, how this could possibly take place um, in something that large. It's not against that size, but it, but it does speak back to the difficulty of actually catechizing and ensuring that when we're talking about the same things, we're talking about the same things, you know. And I think that's, Nick, I mean, that's, that's I think part of the difficulty here is that even the definition of sin you know, like if you're not preaching through the law, if you're not explicating the scriptures, if you're not um, teaching people even what it should they should be offended by, um, you know, or what they should be harmed by with respect to to actual sin of omission or commission. Well, then don't be surprised if you just have this sort of sort of amorphous uh, feeling seminar where everyone is kind of um, genuinely. Um, mildly displeased with everyone else in the church. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Nick.
0: That no, you don't need to apologize. That actually brings me to my next point. I was only raising my hand to say, I want to talk next. I wanted to ask specifically because that um, is a great segue. Thank you, J.D., about the, How does this work in a big church? And I think in our current climate today, in the social media world, we sort of all exist in the churches that we actually attend on Sunday morning and the sort of giant online quote unquote church that we partake in throughout the week. And um, I wanted to ask you guys about public versus private discipline. And um, now that we do attend church, in a sense, every day online, every time we log into Facebook and do see things that are sins there, um, how do we, and I'm, I'm asking you this specifically, Matt, um, as somebody who, quote, says strong things on Facebook sometimes, um, what is the defense for a more public exercising of some kind of church discipline when, it's, when it could be argued that Jesus specifically says to go to the sinner personally and privately I think two things
2: you need to make a distinction between between sin and personal offense um, and it is, and and false teaching because okay. more often than not a lot of the, the public controversies that Christians get into online myself included have to do with an error a theological error or some some actual heresy that we're, we're exposing and calling and, and and refuting, so I I think that uh, D. A. Carson wrote an article uh, in Thamelios, which is the Gospel Coalition's journal, um, on abusing Matthew 18, where he was mm-hmm. calling attention to people who you know you you Jen Hammaker or uh, you know. Uh, Rob Bell would say something outrageous online, and people would say, that's heresy, and then say, did you go to Rob Bell personally be- before you uh, wrote that? Well, you're not required to do that. When, I put, when someone in the position of, te- of a teacher right. uh, who presumes to declare uh, dogma or
1: doctrine online does so
2: falsely in a public sphere, he has to be corrected falsely.
1: No, public. that's a public, that's a public uh, transgression of the second yeah. commandment. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a personal sin against a brother. That's, a, exactly. a, that's a, taking the Lord's name in vain. I and mean, that's, that's um, Titus nine tells us that we are
2: obligated as pastors to refute and rebuke those who do such things publicly if necessary.
1: Yeah, that's been a real tough one for a lot of people I know that are in Christian leadership. You know, they don't mind preaching the gospel, which I'm grateful for. But when it comes to the other flip side of that, which is to actively refute false doctrine. You know, that seems to be, well, uh, because that puts you in different a different stance, as it were. And, you know, I found that that's been, uh, that's been, been harder for some than others. Um, president and company excluded, of course. <laughs> yeah. and, but you've kind of
2: got, you've got, you got to. I mean, if, if, if you're a shepherd and there's a sheep or there's a, a wolf in sheep's wolf, clothing, yeah. Amen. you're going to that, that wolf privately and saying, hey, you know, could you ease up on the sheep? Yeah, a little
1: bit. <laughs> you well, you know, it took me Stop
2: again, on the, It took on the me twelve alley.
1: years. It took me twelve years of ordained ministry to really fully appreciate this because, you know, you, you your younger self, um, at least my younger self, you know, wanted to thought I was uh, conflict avoidant, and I'm fairly conflict avoidant. I think. I mean, I don't I don't actively seek to argue with people. Um, And I thought that there was sort of a path of least resistance that was actually pastorally sensitive um, within the church. And so, you know, when I actually got ordained, then, you know, there's a weight that settles in on you and it takes a while to do it. And then it was sort of the, the dual weights. I've spoken about this before. At the same time, I became a rector and a father at the same time. And it was a little bit, I have this picture in my mind of sort of being thrown these two, you know, like um, uh, 50 pound bags or something to carry around. And I realized that I, one, had a much greater responsibility than, than I wanted, than, than I thought these were going to be, but also begin to look around me at other men in particular my age who had been raised in the church, who had been um, sort of fed this pablum of, you know, well, let's not really worry about the, 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 the wolf's teeth aren't that sharp. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you don't need to really get into the details of any of this. <laughs> And it was, it was heartbreaking for me. It was heartbreaking. Some of the questions I would get from people who had spent their lives in the church were, were less formed than questions I would get from people who, who had never heard the name of Jesus until like a day before. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable to me. And, I, and it was not a contemptuous situation for me. Like I feel like I've been backed into a more contentious stance simply out of, out of an appreciation for just how sharp the wolf's teeth are like just how, how difficult a, a, a world without a shepherd and without fences and without a caring um, pastor would actually be. particularly, And it's particularly tragic, I think, for sort of nominal – we've talked about this last week – nominal Christian people who kind of half the story, you know, have half the story of, like, God is love. I think it's somewhere in the Bible. It's like in Enoch, I think, maybe, or somewhere maybe in Melchizedek chapter 19. And I don't really know, but I know that um, – I know that's true and i know i'm not supposed to be judgmental and and i think confirmation's something we're supposed to do with our kid but he didn't like it and i don't know what's going on you know and it's like well there's a there's a certain sadness to that and we're trying to avoid that and that's part of what church discipline is from the beginning to the end and that's part of what external and internal is is for the sake of 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 hopefully bringing a wayward brother or sister back into the fold. And, you know, I don't want that to be, I'm very careful about what I say publicly, but I'm ready to be corrected. Um, and I hope it's lovingly, you know, it hasn't been in the past, but, I have, but I'm certainly hoping when it's interpersonal, that it is short accounts with people that I genuinely love, that they would come um, under, the, under the banner of the gospel and that there would be a real hope for reconciliation in that case. I mean that's the, but I agree with you, Matt. I think that the misunderstanding of the public ministry is that, or, or that when people are reticent to correct people publicly, it's it's a the fact that they have forgotten how actually painful this false teaching can be.
2: Yeah, and like you say, the, nom- the nominal person, the person who comes like once a month or uh, to church once a month, or who um, just is kind of dabbling around in the Bible. Yeah. The whole idea of calling anyone to account for anything is, is incomprehensible. It's you know, Jesus says not to judge. What are you doing? How, how, who, who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me, which is not a good thing. But that, that, that's what you hear is, this is the does not compute because of the half baked Christian message they've embraced. And I actually think that for those Christians in particular, when parishes go through church disciplinary processes it's really good because they they then are usually the ones most offended and they're also at that point able to be if they're if they're willing instructed and go deeper in their catechetical process we have we have we have several prisoners become more and more informed more informed of the gospel and about the law as we've enacted 18 in our church
0: it's really ironic isn't it that the two spheres in which the word discipline has taken on an exclusively negative connotation are in the church and in the home everywhere else like that athlete is so disciplined or that employee is so disciplined those are universally good things but in the church and in the home we think of disciplining our children and we're afraid of that and we we think of discipline in the church and we're afraid of that and yet those are the two spheres where we want to be Most clear. That's where we have to be as clear as possible to pierce through what the world is saying, which is this, that, and the other thing, every message. And we have to be in the same sense as an employee and as an athlete, we have to be disciplined
1: Mm. to
0: keep our message hearable because it is counterintuitive. It is the opposite of what the world is expecting to hear. You are a sinner, you have a savior, it's not you. In order to pierce through the cloud of whatever else is being said by anybody and everybody, we need to be disciplined in the best sense of that word.
1: That's right. And that's good news. I mean, that's what, right. you know, Luther is famous for saying, like, when are you going to stop preaching this? They asked him, when are you going to stop preaching this um, long gospel over and over? He's like, well, when any of you seem to have gotten it, you know, and of course he did die, sort <laughs> of cynical, and sind betle, das ist he writes. we're all beggars, that is true. But I think that's exactly right, Nick, is because I have, I mean, you and I both, and I'm sure you have, Matt, but I know, Nick, um, we've talked, this about specifically, um, have preached, you know, variation of the same message every Sunday and still, you know, five years and 10 years in, have people come to you and say, Oh, Oh, yeah. that's what you're saying now. Yeah. That's what it is. And, you know, and had you sort of relented or, or pulled back from that at any given Sunday, assuming that, well, now they've, they've gotten, gotten it. it so let's yeah. move to the higher, the higher learning, the higher knowledge. Um, well, then you, you may have actually missed the window for where the Holy spirit was finally going to pierce through, that, that darkness. Now that doesn't mean, I'd be quick to say, there isn't a place for discipleship and the, the renewal of the mind and the discipleship of the mind and all Absolutely. sorts of input. I mean, I spend every other day here with an open book with someone, you know, just let's, let's get deeper and go, go broader in this. But when it comes to preaching, and, you know, letting, letting the Holy Spirit blow where he will um, is very clear what we're asked to do is articulate what's wrong with you, why Jesus died and what he has done to save and let that continue to convict and to, um, and, and to edify people, you know, as maybe 20 years from now, maybe, maybe 10 years, I mean, uh, 30, but... But I, I agree with you. I think that that's the discipline of the church. And that's why, again, I'm thankful for being part of a liturgical church that, that ideally kind of um, str- restrains the preacher. You know, the old joke about the uh, liturgy was that it protected the congregation from the politics or the doubts of the preacher. You know, that mm-hmm. was the, um, which I think is pretty, pretty sad thing to say, but it's sad and, and also because we all resonate with having seen that. But nevertheless, there's some truth in that because whatever you say or don't say there's a confession of sin, there's an absolution, there are the comfortable words, there's the proclamation of the Lord's Supper, there's the prayer of humble access, and there's the raising to new life to be sent into the world to love and serve him. And that's that'll preach. That'll keep preaching.
2: you mentioned a minute ago, you know what would what would the church be like had Jesus not given us this um, this instruction? And if you if you read through Matthew eighteen and just kind of put yourself in a place of the person who sinned, I, I think you'll, you'll see how, how compassionate and preserving of dignity this, this process is. Because without the process, what happens in a human community? Let's say you do that's something right. terribly shameful. That's something you're really embarrassed about. You really have sin. You've really messed up. What happens? Well, the whole church knows. I mean, every, the whole community knows immediately because people you talk. become a scandal. You become, a, right. you become a scandal, right? We so see this
0: happen every day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You, you get canceled or whatever it might be. Um, but in this case, you do something shameful you do something bad to someone else or someone just sees you doing something shameful. No one knows about it except that other person. And if ever the person talks to you and you repent, then that's it. It's done. It's finished. The whole, there's no talk. There's no gossip. There's no, uh, your name isn't dragged through the streets. Let's say you still don't see it after your brother or sister talks to you. Well, then it goes to two or three others. But if you repent then, that the matter is ended. There's not, your shame is covered in a sense. Your your sins are covered. The community is not aware. It's only that last stage after you've, after you've said, no, I don't care what my brothers or sisters say. I'm going to continue doing this thing. And I love this thing that I'm doing. And I love it more than Jesus. So that's it. Then of course, the church needs to know But before that you are, you're covered in a kind of merciful system
0: where you're bringing your, your, being enticed back to christ yes and even if you even as you said earlier at the end when you are like the end of your quote merciful system you then become somebody who is more ready than anybody to receive mercy you become the object of the sermon we we are sent to you we love you we do anything to win you back you are you are now the one to whom we are at work we we are we are sent to you so even Mm -hmm. at the end of the process when theoretically all of the mercy has run out you are now ready to receive the ultimate mercy which is conversion back to christ
1: that's right Now you become a seeker in the seeker-sensitive church, which means we give you like a tote bag and some coffee. Get another welcome kit. That's right. And we sing uh, Peter Frampton instead of Rock of Ages or whatever the case is. Um, But I think, you know, Nick, that reminded me of one of the uh, also uh, sort of embedded um, misunderstandings or at least articulations on the flip side of this from Jesus is that when a brother or sister in the church sins against you, you know, there's this stated reality that there will be sin in the church. You know, there's this idea... And I was thinking about this in my sermon this past Sunday because I was thinking about how um, actually I was thinking about parents and children just because I have a five-year-old and she's only starting to realize that I can't actually, that I didn't actually put the moon up there when I pretended to <laughs> the other night. Um, that'll be a tough one for her to come to grips with. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, you know, it's, there's a cynicism that grows when you think that the church is not full of hypocrites to a certain degree. When you think that the church is full of, of, of more of holier people than you, than you think they should be, um, or, or they're not as holy as you think they should be. And so there's an, there's, you're met with a, a a sort of crossroads you know if you know the gospel the law and the gospel you realize that you're going to be a sinner saved by grace till the end of your life and that the trajectory of your of your introspection is going to take you deeper into your need for christ not not less well then you're going to continue to fellowship with these other brothers and sisters who may or may not sin against you but if your idea is that somehow the, the the church was a was a boot camp for future saints Uh, Well, then you're going to get cynical really fast, you know, and cynicism turns to anger and anger turns to atheism or agnosticism. And then you join the mainline church and then you become an atheist and you start writing books like um, Tony Campolis or whatever his name is out in California. Yeah. Or Frankie Schaefer. I mean, you name the people for whom this wasn't a reality who've turned against their Christian parents and you say, well, who told you? you know who told you you were naked you know who told you that these people weren't flawed broken sinners who but for the grace of god um you know wouldn't know anything of his mercies you know you knew very well their flaws but you obviously uh, didn't know as well their redeeming savior and this is what this is where you know i make a joke all the time about the main reason to catechize your children is so that they'll forgive you when they get old enough to um (laughs) start judging you and i'm talking as a five-year-old i'm already seeing a five-year-old i can't even wait till she's a preacher's kid at 15 you know it's like miley cyrus may have nothing on her who knows remember pray for your pastors that's right (laughs) that's right but I think I mean I think the final say of this Nick for you and for me and Matt you you sort of have led the way in this even in my thinking as I've watched you interact over the past couple of years is that you know this was a, this was a terrifying passage that I didn't ever ignore but I certainly didn't wouldn't have put this in the quiver of of a gracious wonderful. Um, sort of exciting uh, places to return in the scriptures, you know, it's kind of said, well, you've got to kind of grit your teeth and this is what you have to do. And, and, you know, it's not, no way likes it, but, you know, God said it, so that settles it, you know, and, and I think now, um, having lived in the life of a church of, of a community where by and large people have in fact um, embraced the message of the gospel and experienced something of this first level sort of interaction between confession and absolution, as it were horizontally, It's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing, and I think your your church, Matt, the way you describe it, is a real is a real inspiration and a model for how this could deepen community and trust um, among people as they see how you know turns out God wasn't lying and wrote this for our benefit. And when it's implanted and when it's put into practice, that it actually um, serves to to deepen and strengthen our faith.
2: It does work too. I don't. We shouldn't just do it because it works. We should do it because Christ says. Uh, to do it. But it does actually work in, in bringing about about repentance. Uh, I'll just tell you one quick story. Uh, one, of the, uh, more, one of the more recent episodes involved a man who believed that he was a prophet in my church. Um, and he believed that he was entitled to positions much higher than he was given. And I wouldn't have positions of leadership because, you know, I don't think he was a prophet. <laughs> he was, uh, but he, he'd been at the church for a very long time. In fact, he became a Christian at the church, but 15, he was part of that. Um, in any case, he got very angry. He went around to different older people and started doing work for free at their house and started saying, well, Matt's just a, a bad guy, not letting me advance to where I should, where God's calling me to be. And um, It was a big mess, and the guy's a big guy, too. Uh, very strong, <laughs> very loud, um, and very angry, um, is, that in,
1: is it indistinction to you? I don't know if that just... Uh, well, it. I guess indistinction to me, everyone's a big guy, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> on,
1: five foot one or something. But the guy...
2: Uh, but so he he was increasingly angry and increasingly slanderous. And he was gathering factions. So finally, we started the Matthew 18 process with him. Um, and he... Uh, we got to the second stage, and that was it. Uh, he pulled out and said, that's it. I'm going to start my own ministry, my own church. And he... Started a Bible study halfway across town, um, and and then pretty soon he got some letters from him threatening to come to the church and break things up. I'm going to bring the sledgehammer of God to your uh, to your parish," he said. One uh, when that's a quote from one of his letters. And so we hired a part-time police officer to <laughs> to watch the doors because we didn't really know what this guy was going to do. He was kind of out of his out out of his mind at this point. But in any case, uh, about a year after that, um, the threat kind of subsided and. Um, it was our Easter our Easter vigil and the guy I look out in the congregation, there he is, sitting there with his with his wife and I'm oh man, is there a sledgehammer with him? Does he have an axe? <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, <laughs> what's gonna happen? But he but he but he comes up to me at the piece and he you gotta know this guy, he's very he's very effusive. So he gets down on his knees and he says, I just wanna apologize to you for all of my sins and he, he said I was wrong Maybe. the whole time. I was wrong, I'm I'm sorry can we talk? And I said, yeah, please stand up and uh, share the peace. He asked if he could take communion. He said, said, sure. Um, I gave him communion. We met the next week. He he signed a full confession and apology. Uh, It was amazing. It was was in tears. The the, the elders who were with me with this guy were just, it was, we were all kind of crying because it was, was, we'd never seen this, we we never expected this guy to turn around. The next week, he drops dead of a heart attack oh my gosh out of the blue he's yeah yeah it was just it was remarkable it was it was you could see the hand of god bringing this man to faith back to faith and repentance mm-hmm. and then and then taking him home it was a really
0: it was an amazing story gosh. But, um, well there's literally nothing to say after that I know.
1: my joke about the did he return the sledgehammer of god uh, he literally did <laughs> and took it back yes. home he took it back home that's right made of myrrh <laughs> Cedars, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, You guys, our, our time is up, and as always with these conversations, there's more to say. In fact, if you'd like to hear more of our thoughts on church discipline, you can look up J.D.'s sermon on uh, Christ Church's website, which is christch.org, or mine at Grace's website, GraceAnglicanLou I don't
1: think me... mine's actually up there, Nick. The video's up there,
0: fine. If you want to go to jdcoke.com, he just wants me to plug that jdcoke.com. I I'm actually sorry. have a website too, nickland.com. Aren't we? You so and cool? the other
1: you and the other the tens of tens of people that that right. to my uh shut the internet down every time I publish something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And if he'll permit me a little joke at his expense, if you want to know Matt's thoughts on church discipline, just follow him on social media. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining our conversation. If you want to keep it going, please be in touch with us. Uh, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. Thanks as always to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.